The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Our scripture reading for today is from Psalm 102. Again, Psalm 102. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on a housetop. All the day, my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear, and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he look down from his holy height, from heaven, the Lord looked down at the earth to hear the groans of, his, of the prisoners, to set free those who, who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, Take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning, Park Church. Uh, my name is Neil, and we'll be in Psalm 102 today. Uh, I don't know if you've been around our summer series, Christ in the Psalms, for a while. Uh, maybe you're a little bit newer to it, or you've just spent time in the Psalms. Many of the, the Psalms can feel similar, even redundant. 
And uh, so two quick thoughts as we, we step into a psalm that, that actually uh, follows a similar trajectory, a similar movement, which is something like, and things are hard, life is difficult. Let's be honest about the pain and let's turn to God in the midst of that. Uh, two quick thoughts about that. One is, is we need practice. Uh, we're forgetful people and our hearts go different directions. We actually need the repetition to call us back in and how we come before God in the midst of being real with the pain. And second, uh, as we, we look at different psalms, uh, we learn new pathways and new language for our hearts, for our souls in relationship with God. Uh, what, what becomes relevant for our situation and how we go to God in all of his fullness and all of his character. Uh, so with those things in mind, let's, uh, let's go before the God who hears us uh, so that we may learn together and practice together and see what God has for us in Psalm 102. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are a God of love. Uh, thank you that you, you meet with us, uh, you communicate uh, so powerfully, so beautifully through your word, and I ask that, that you would bring uh, to life uh, what you have for us in Psalm 102, uh, the places in our experience, our souls, our affliction, our relationships, where, where we need uh, what you have in this passage, in this text, uh, bring it to bear upon us, uh, bring life, uh, communicate strength and comfort and joy, and do it for your name's sake. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, affliction brings attention. Uh, whether it's a, it's a stubbed toe that you just hit on the corner of the bed, you, you look down at the toe that is now throbbing, you look at what you hit your toe on, and, and blood rushes to uh, that spot of the body. Uh, maybe it's a child who's screaming out in pain, and the parent's going to respond to that, give attention to that affliction, and saying, how do I need to respond? Like, what's going on here? I'm going to move toward that. Or maybe it's broader, systemic, or societal affliction that, that kind of bubbles up over time in conversation and in the press and, and maybe even in protests or in violence. Whatever affliction it is, whether large or small, it brings attention. And this is appropriate. It's, it's fitting. All of us do it. When there is affliction, we begin to pay attention. And truth be told, if we don't, if we don't pay attention to that difficulty, to that pain, then it only gets worse. It will fester over time. It will find new areas to break out in. It will become more difficult, more painful, and the affliction will only grow. Now, I love what Dan Allender says about this. He says, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions is ushering us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. It's only in reality and being honest with the affliction that we meet with God. And Scripture knows this. The Psalms know this. Psalm 102, the author who wrote it, knows this to be true. Look with me, starting in verse 3. And maybe it's helpful for you to, to grab a physical Bible in an age where we have a lot of screens. Maybe having something tactile is helpful for you. But look with me, Psalm 102, starting verse 3. It says this, For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. We're not given the details of the, the affliction and the pain that this psalmist is experiencing. But we know it's, it, it's affecting his whole person. Uh, his, his energy, his excitement, his motivation, uh, they're withering. He feels like his, his kind of zeal for life, uh, the things that, that, would, that would motivate him are now being stripped away. And he, he's feeling uh, some level of depression, some, some, some level of withering strength in the midst of this affliction. 
I know for me, coming out of a lockdown season and uh, so many different opinions about what it should look like and who do you spend time with and in what context and uh, the different perspectives that exist there. And and for us now having a a newborn plus a toddler, uh, it's been an exhausting season, exhausting on many different levels. Uh, Continuing to to work often at a distance and and mediated through screens, uh, it's taken its its toll. And and many of our, our summer plans, the things that we would look forward to in the summer, uh, so often being uh, stripped away or postponed or just having to look very different than what they did prior. And then we consider what's going on at a national level and even a global level uh, with, with systemic injustices that are, that are kind of being highlighted right now in, in really clear, visceral ways. Uh, it, all of these things come together. I feel what this psalmist is talking about. Uh, my strength, my motivation, uh, waning, being withered. Uh, having to fight for uh, the energy and the focus and the perspective again and again and again. And and maybe it's something similar for you. Maybe it's one particular instance or situation or relationship or or maybe it's a combination of a number of things, but somehow it's coming together for for you to feel withered. Uh, To feel like your motivation is just not there like it was before. And maybe there's some sort of of deep malaise or or low-grade depression or very intense depression that you're walking through right now. The scriptures can relate. Uh, This psalmist can relate. And he goes on. Look with me in the the middle of verse 4. He says, I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. And then down to the first part of verse 7. I lie awake. This is affecting him physically. Uh, Whatever type of affliction is, is happening in his life, he's feeling it in such a way that it's, it's impacting his, his basic self-care. For him, he's not even eating enough such that his, his body is feeling uh, weak and he, he's waking up in the middle of the night. He's not able to sleep well, maybe waking up early in the morning. Uh, somehow this distress is, is affecting him physically. Or maybe that's true for you. This season has meant uh, not taking care of yourself uh, mentally or physically or relationally in the same ways you normally would. It's made it difficult. You just have, have lacked the, the energy to do so. Uh, or maybe for you, it's, it's, it's actual physical pain. It's, it's a, a health issue that has been around for a while, or maybe it's new, or something that's just persistent and, and nags at your body and is, is difficult to live with. Or maybe it's not you, it's, it's someone that you love, someone that you know, and they're walking through some sort of health crisis right now, and you're feeling that for them and with them. Whatever it is, the, so often our affliction can come out physically, and we feel it in our bodies. If nothing else, then just the discouragement and distress that will, will so impact us that we, we can't sleep, we can't rest, we feel the, the restlessness over and over again. Well, the, the psalmist continues on. Look with me in verse 6. It says, I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Not only is he feeling it emotionally and psychologically and physically, but it's coming out relationally. Maybe those relationships that uh, have always been marked by love and, and humility and enjoyment, uh, maybe there's, there's newfound tension in those relationships for you right now. And maybe those that you would have considered friends or still do or close family members, are, there's some sort of division, some sort of difficulty that you're facing right now uh, that is making those relationships hard. And maybe you're feeling particularly isolated. And here he talks about this 
owl of the waste places. And uh, really we don't know if it's an owl or what kind of bird it is. It's just some sort of creature that is flying around in totally desolate wastelands and feeling disconnected in relationship, not cared for, uh, not loved by others, understood by others. There's a, a deep sense of isolation. Maybe it's even those who are, are saying with their mouths, hey, I care for you, I want to I journey with you, I want to be with you in the midst of what you're walking through. Uh, but then their actions, their decision-making, what they actually do with their lives, it, it's not matching that reality. And so you feel disconnected in relationship. The picture that's being painted in these verses, three through nine, is, is the psalmist coming before God and being honest about the full nature of his affliction and saying, I'm feeling it on every level in my person. And so in some way, this touches on all of our lives, no matter how large or small your affliction is. It's a, it's a necessary thing that we, we give voice to it. That God wants us to do that. We're given a, a beautiful picture here in this psalm. Go with me back to, to verse zero. Yes, there's a verse zero. It's the superscript often uh, not understood as part of the inspired text. Right there at the start of Psalm 102, it says this, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So the author, feeling his affliction, feeling his pain, is, is offering a prayer of complaint before the covenantal God who loves him. We need to give voice to this affliction. He goes on in verse one, he says, hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. It is good, it is necessary that we go before God honestly. Whether or not people around us can, can point to things in our lives and say, hey, it probably shouldn't be that bad. Like, hey, look, look at what's going well for you right now. Uh, in the midst of that, we, we, we must still be honest with the affliction, with our experience of the pain, even if others just can't understand it. It feels disconnected uh, from reality for them. We must be honest with the affliction. So, so the issue is not giving voice to those things. The issue is not complaining before the Lord and, 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 and giving voice to it. The issue is when we, we never leave from that place. I know for me, a number of years ago, Walking through a prolonged season of depression and anxiety, I led to so social isolation in many ways, definitely felt it physically. A, a, lot, a lot of things that he talks about in this psalm, um, that season was marked by for me. And I, I had people who, a handful of people who really walked faithfully with me, allowing me to, uh, to, even coaching me through giving voice to those things, being honest about those things. It was very hard for me to begin to do that. It wasn't something I was used to doing. But eventually it hit a point where some of these people who were faithfully and, and really sacrificially loving me through it would begin to offer different bits of encouragement and saying, hey, who is God in the midst of this? What, what encouragement does his character provide for you right now? Like how, how is the beauty and the fullness of who God is, what does that mean for your situation? Hey, what does it mean for you to look outside yourself and also serve the needs of others? Like consider those around you. And my initial response to that, even if I didn't say it out loud, it was something like, hey, don't you know that I'm hurting? Like, don't you know that it's difficult for me? I, I don't want to focus on those things. The focus should be on me. And while I needed to be honest about the pain, they were absolutely right. I needed to begin to, to look to who God was for me and is for me. I need to begin looking outside of myself and considering a broader scope of what God might be doing and how that might impact other people. 
And so my, my concern for us is uh, not so much that we won't give voice to the pain, like some of us, uh, we need to, to put that more into practice, but in the midst of that, where do we begin to turn? Where, where do we go from there? Well, we see the psalmist uh, there in verse 10 begin to turn to God. He says, because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. This is coming on the heels of him kind of laying out the nature of his affliction and his experience. And, and, and one option for him would have been, hey, God, I don't understand what's going on here. I've kind of searched my heart. I'm, I'm walking in the light, not, not with perfection, but I'm walking in the light with you. And I don't understand why this affliction is, is, is persisting in my life. He, he could have said to that, well, therefore, God, you must be unjust. You must not be good. You're not worthy of my trust. Maybe you're not even real. I cannot trust you any longer. But instead, he says, no, God, you, you are just. You are good. You are wise in the midst of all of this. And it's not my place to, to come before you and say, here's what I deserve and here's what I don't deserve. He said, no, God, you, you are worthy of my trust. I will look to you. I will find my hope in you. I believe that you are good in the midst of however severe, however prolonged, however intense this affliction may be. Well, he goes further. That's a necessary first step for us to go, I will trust you, God. You are just, you are wise, you are good. But he goes further, and there, there are three specific kind of shifts that his perspective and his heart makes in relationship to God and others in the rest of the psalm. And, and that's what I want us to look at for the rest of our time uh, together. So the first one is this. We must situate ourselves within the permanent authority and wise compassion of God. We must situate ourselves within the permanent authority and the wise compassion of God. Look with me in verse 12. But, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Now, this but here in verse 12 is, it functions as a really large contrast from, from where he had been in the psalm and where he's going now in this prayer. At some point, you should go back through verses 3 through 11 and count how many first-person pronouns are used by the, the author. It's somewhere around 18, you know, the I, the me, the my. A, a large focus on, hey, here's my experience, bringing his complaint before the Lord. But then in verse 12, this but, it shifts to a focus on God. And for the next 11 verses, until verse 23, there's not a single first-person pronoun found there. That's because he's now turning his gaze to who God is in the midst of his affliction. And there are two specific things that come out. He says, God, you're, you're enthroned forever. You're remembered throughout all generations. So no matter what affliction you're facing, no matter what your pain looks like, no matter how, how, how absent the resources you need, they feel to be right now, that you just don't have what is necessary, it does not change this reality. God powerfully, beautifully, sovereignly sits on his throne and rules over the details of your life. But not only that, look with me in verse 13. You will arise and have pity on Zion. And then down to verse 17. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. And then down to verse 19. That he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die. Not only does God reign perfectly over the details of your life and all of your affliction, he also draws near when we cry out for him to help. This is what he loves to do. He comes forward and relates to us personally with wise compassion. And so do not let these truths be tucked away in some sort of cranial corner of your, of your, your brain. 
Uh, rather, they need to be, to be part of your lived experience. You need to, to actually say them, to articulate them, to journal about them, to pray them back to God, to, to, to have discussions and conversation about who God is with other people and in your own heart and in your own mind. Well, not only that, second, so we see the, the psalmist focusing on the impact his handling of suffering will have on others. So we must focus on how our handling of suffering will impact others. Uh, so not only is the psalmist kind of looking to uh, who God is, but also what, what God might be doing through his life in relationship to other people. And, and we, see, we see first in verse 15, Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. And then you jump down to, to verse 22, When peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. In the midst of his pain and affliction and suffering, he's beginning to look to, hey, who are those who don't yet know the love of God? What might God be doing through my own journey through affliction and how he meets me through that and how he restores and redeems and how I deal with that? How might, how might that lead to a, a beautiful presentation of who God is to those who don't yet know his love? What might God be doing through your life to encourage, to strengthen others, and perhaps even to lead to the salvation of those who don't know the God who is working in your life? But not only that, look in verse 18. He says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. He also has in view future generations. Like what are going to be the, the ripple effects of how he handles his affliction for, for many of whom are, are not even created yet. They're not even born yet. Have you thought about how, how you handle your affliction, your suffering right now impacts your children? and their children, and their children, and their children, and so on. And this is true whether or not you have children or you ever will have children. You're in relationship with other people. You have family members. You have friends and networks and coworkers and, and institutions you're a part of and places you spend time. And how we deal with our suffering, our affliction, and turn to God and allow him to use that in our lives, it has an impact on others. And we have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to, to break the bondage of generational sin, patterns of sin that have been passed down in your family year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation, in your home, in your own experience with God and your suffering, you can actually break the power of those heart responses. As you look to God, as you consider what he might be doing, as you re rely upon the power of the Spirit, trusting him to do something that is greater than yourself in the midst of that. And then last, we must attach our affliction to the broader scope of what God is doing through his people. We must attach our affliction with what God is, the broader scope of what God is doing through his people. And honestly, this, this is the one that, that kind of surprised me the most as I worked my way through the psalm. You know, he, he was very honest in the first half of this psalm and saying, this is my affliction, this is my difficulty. But then look with me again in verse 13. You will arise and have pity on Zion. And then in verse 16, again, for the Lord builds up Zion, he appears in his glory. You, you, you would expect here that with such a focus on his individual experience, his, his kind of the personal nature of his affliction, uh, to begin saying, oh, you're going to rebuild me. You're going you're to bring comfort back to me. Like you're going to save and have pity on me. And, and those prayers are not bad. Like we must go before God and ask him to deliver us. Absolutely. But what he's doing is, is attaching his own journey with affliction, his own dealing with his suffering to the people of God. 
Now, Zion is the place where God would manifest his presence with his people. Now, today we understand it as the church. This is the people of God. And he, he's saying, not, not, hey, God, make my life more comfortable. Hey, make it bearable again. Hey, just take away some of the difficulty so I can have a good experience with my circumstances again. He's saying, no, God, rebuild your people. What might you be doing in some sort of small or very profound way through my own story, my own journey, my own affliction and how I interact with that, interact with you and trust in you to bring life and light and strength to your people and through your people for the sake of the world. But one, one word that has been trending a lot during this season uh, to describe what 2020 has looked like for just about all of us has been disruption. And I love what one author, Margaret Manning Scholl, says about it. She says, says this, when our beliefs are contradicted by our experience or challenged by competing and compelling alternatives, we feel disruption. When we encounter something radically different than anything we've known or experienced, we experience disruption. Disruption upends assumed expectations. It interrupts our perceived self-efficacy and control. And it complicates all that we've come to rely on and trust. And yet, the interruption can set one on a new course and introduce a whole new horizon. I'd imagine this is what the, the first followers of Jesus felt when he was crucified. You know, here's a guy they'd given their, their lives to, their livelihoods to follow. Over the past three years, just kind of absorbing everything that he says and does and, and giving their whole lives to, to walk with him, literally. And he just got killed. They were assuming that he was going to overthrow these unjust political powers and institutions and, and now he was just murdered at their hands. And so they're disoriented, they're confused, they're, they're scattered and fearful. They're, they're wondering, like, what does this mean? What does this mean for our lives? Like, everything has kind of been upended. Our lives are now disrupted. And yet this is the very means by which God chose to use Jesus to work through the Son of God to save the world. Perhaps this is what God is doing through us and for us even now in the particularities that you're walking through, that you're experiencing. Now, where do you feel that affliction? Maybe, maybe it's like in verse 23 where your strength feels broken mid-course, that, that God has broken your strength in the midst of whatever life has looked like for you. Have you considered that maybe that's a good thing? Not the evil itself, not the affliction itself, not the fact that, uh, that devastatingly so often it's people afflicting other people, humans doing the afflicting against other humans, that is not good. That is evil. And yet what if there is a deeper, richer, fuller, more profound goodness that God is working through your story for his people, for the sake of the world even now? Well, the author of Hebrews seemed to, to think that was precisely the case. He quotes verbatim, verses 25 through 27 of this psalm in Hebrews 1, uh, verses 10 through 12. When, when describing who Jesus is, kind of a, a litany of uh, different quotations from the Old Testament and saying this is the nature of the Messiah. This is who Jesus is. He, he is the author of creation. He is the point of creation. He is the one who is restoring creation, bringing his people into a place of redemption and love and comfort and fullness. He is the one who is bringing it to its end, to the glory of God and the good of his people people. And so what confidence do we have in the midst of our affliction that God is working something good? We, we look to Jesus. And we look to Jesus as the one who took upon himself all of the affliction described here in this psalm and said, I will willingly do that, knowing I will suffer unjustly 
entrusting himself to the Father and saying, I'm going to do this for the joy that is set before me, for a people yet to be created, which includes us, laying down his life, following the will of the Father, knowing this meant deep, profound affliction for him. And in so doing, he conquered the very institutions and powers uh, that, that were oppressing him and working against him. He came out victorious. He rose from the grave and said, all those who would trust in me and find hope in me, you too can participate in this life. And so do you long to dwell securely? Uh, Like it says in the very last verse of this psalm, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Do you long for that rootedness in your life with God? Uh, Do you long for a, a secure joy and a hope and a comfort and a strength then come to Jesus who puts this kind of life on offer, that we may participate in it, looking to him who who reigns supremely over your lives, including your affliction, who who has taken this affliction upon himself and rose victoriously and said, now come to me in your weariness, in your discouragement, in your heartache, come to me, find life and find life eternal. We must look to this Jesus. Jesus. I want us now uh, just to to take a little bit of time, and hopefully this will continue throughout the rest of your week, uh, to pray this psalm. It's a practice that we're inviting our entire church into, just to daily pray uh, Scripture back to God and and to look uh, specifically at these psalms that we're working through this summer. And and so take the the next little bit of time and, and maybe focus on a verse or a word or a concept from this psalm. And pray it back to God. Let, let it inform and shape your prayers as you, you see what God is doing through your affliction, through your difficulty, uh, for his glory and for your good.